Duty is defined as a task that one is required to perform, a responsibility, a legal responsibility. You are owed a duty by others at all times, whether a sole person or a huge corporation. You are owed a duty to be safe from negligent, careless, intentional acts that cause you serious damage, death, permanent injury, catastrophic loss. Others have caused a breach, a breach of the duty due you and yours. Your only recourse is to pursue a legal claim. It is impossible to turn back time so that the injury and damage did not occur. Monetary compensation is the only alternative, both to compensate you for your loss, but also to confirm the conduct of the wrongdoer. Motor vehicle accidents, slip and fall injuries, assault, dangerous products, workplace injuries, animal bites, defamation, these are a portion of the wrongs that are inflicted on you and yours. Opsitnik and Associates can make the difference. Al Opsitnik has litigated, tried, and settled injury claims throughout the United States in his home state of Pennsylvania, but also New York, Maryland, and Alaska, just to name a few. When duty is breached, contact Opsitnik and Associates to make things right. For you, for yours. Contact them toll-free, 1-866-391-3299, or visit them on their Facebook page, Opsitnik and Associates, or their website, OpsitniksLaw.com. See the links in the description below for more information. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Carnival of Randomness. I'm Zach. Rye is here somewhere, I think. Hello. Hello. And... Full disclosure to our listeners, we are recording this two days before the new year. However, this is the first one that will be launched in 2021. So 2020 has gone by the wayside, and I think I speak for the world when I say, thank God. Oh, yeah. So we've got that out of the way. It's a brand new year. It's 2021. We're going to look forward. And in looking forward, we're going to take a look back. Because we were talking recently, and... We were talking about the glory of the VHS tape. Mm. And really it all came full circle when you received and subsequently got me a very amazing book. The, what would, what's the title of it I can see? A VHS video cover art. Yeah. It's this beautiful hardbound book and it just has hundreds of VHS boxes that were cool looking from back in the day. And it got us thinking, and it got us remembering. So let's start that walk down memory lane and talk about the glory that used to be the video store. Yeah, you know, so if anybody's looking for the book, uh, it's on Amazon. It's VHS uh, Video Cover Art, 1980s to early 1990s by Thomas Hodge. Yes, and there's some very interesting video art covers in there there definitely is it's probably one of the most incredible books i've ever seen for anybody who likes uh box art yeah and mind you we're not sponsored by this guy this is just a cool book no i just saw it and it's one of those ones where you buy it hoping because i didn't i didn't look at the inside you know online right you sort of you buy it hoping that it'll be what it ended up being. Most don't, you know? The nice cover doesn't always lead to a great inside. Yes. However, 
this one worked out very well. Yeah. It worked out better than we hoped, actually. Exactly. And it just, yeah, it got us sort of thinking and talking and reminiscing about rental stores, VHS box art, and all of that. Yeah. So, and first off, there was many of them in there that I was wondering, how the hell did they get away with putting that on a box? Yeah. But then you have to remember, and this is going to be the theme of the thing, it was the 80s. Yeah. So, but in the 80s, before the, we're going to call it the pre-internet era. Yeah. In the pre-internet era, if you wanted to watch something that you did not own, you had to physically get yourself to a local video store and peruse the shelves to see if they had it and you could rent it. And one of the glories of that for me, and I know for you, was just walking up and down the aisles and looking at the box art. Yeah. And we thought this was something that's kind of disappeared with the advent of DVDs. It definitely has. I mean, rental stores have have pretty much died, and there sort of seems to be a presumption now that if you're buying a DVD, you already know what the movie is. Right. Because we have the internet now. We can look up, especially when we're in a store, we can pull out our phone and look up, like, what is this movie about? And we can see it right there. But back then, unless you'd heard of the movie, you relied on the box to give you a general idea of what it was. And it's like people don't even just browse DVDs. Like nobody goes to a store to browse DVDs. You well, go there to buy a specific thing for somebody. Correct. And that's if you even go to the stores anymore. Look at how, um, you know, what what would be the more modern equivalent would be going online, clicking a button, and it's delivered to your door in two days, or just finding it on a streaming platform. Well, true. But even just in terms of like buying a physical movie it's just like i don't know anybody who thinks oh i think we'll go to walmart and just wander around the dvd shelf right and another thing is kind of in that same vein it's almost impossible to go and browse these days because most stores don't keep any old movies no they really don't it's it's always for the past even maybe decade it's been hard to find older movies yeah like you go in and it's basically the big budget releases obviously because that's your big demand movies Mm -hmm. and then it's a lot of tv shows and then it's basically movies that are maybe two to three years old and then they have the bargain bin which is just a mishmash of other crap that they couldn't move yeah so it's not really set up in a way that you can take advantage of it but back in the video store era, depending on the video store, some were better than others, but you always had some older movies there. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of it was older movies. I think uh, Blockbuster sort of made its living being the singular new release guys. I think so, yeah. Whereas your local mom-and-pop video store, you know, usually figured out that they were not going to compete with Blockbuster, and so they they instead went for older videos. Right. And then you could always go to, like, the video stores to purchase them. And I actually had one. And I'm going to... It was over 20 years ago, so i got to think back to the name of it. I think it was R&S or R&L Video. It was in a town nearby where I lived at the time. And it was just one of those... He would go to old video stores that were closing and buy out their stock. And then he would bring them back, categorize them, and sell them. 
Mm. So, man, did he get some cool stuff. And I got to know him, and he would start, you know, setting aside a couple things that I might be interested in. So a lot of, like, weird, especially European release horror movies with the incredible box art. Yeah, well, that was it. I mean, it was just... Uh, it's hard to even explain the sort of experience of going to a video store and browsing back <laughs> then to people who never experienced it. Absolutely, because yeah. especially to the younger generation that grew up with the internet, the idea of going to a store without a plan seems very foreign. Yeah, like, I'm not sure if, like, even for a few places that still have these little uh, video rental stores, if the experience would be the same today, because... Yeah, if you don't know what a movie is, you can just pull out your phone and Google it and watch the trailer right in the store. Right. But, you know, in the days, in the 80s and 90s, before we had the internet and smartphones, and cell phones for that matter, you couldn't yeah. really look it up. So, and that's the glory. Let's let's look, let's break down what the video box was mm. at the gist. On the front, yeah. you would have an eye-catching cover. Yeah. Because... In a realm when nobody knew what you were, you had to get their attention to at least look at you. Yeah. Unlike DVDs today, where it's basically just the title of the movie. Yeah, and sometimes like a screenshot from it or something, you know. it's very, They're very boring now. Right. And then on the side, near the spine, you would have, you know, the title of the movie again, possibly a little shot, and maybe some some more artwork. But on a DVD, it's so it's so thin, all you can get is the title. Yeah. Like, that's it. And then it came to the best part of the video box, the back. The back. The back. Yes. Because you may not always get the cast listing. As we were looking through the book, we found that out. There was some that didn't have a cast listing. Yeah. But you always got the same similar things. You got a pretty good synopsis of the movie that, let's be honest, somebody had to watch the movie and sum, summarize possibly a 90-minute movie into two paragraphs. Yeah, or less, sometimes just like one little blurb. Right. And then you would have a couple of still shots from the movie. Mm. You know, and it was usually like the climactic scene. So if it was like a slasher movie, you would have, obviously you would have a dead body. You would yep. have maybe a shot of the killer or the weapon. You know, always some sort of provocatively dressed female. Yes. And then if there was like a big name that had a guest spot, there would be a picture of them. Yeah. And that was it. That told you pretty much everything you needed to know. And in that two minutes of looking at the box, you knew whether or not you were going to purchase that movie or rent it. That was it, you know, and... Like, I still remember some of the movies where it was just like, whoa... Well, you, I remember the one that you always talked about. It was, um... Shocker. Shocker. Was it Carpenter or... Yeah, I believe that was John Craven. Carpenter. Yeah, it was the guy strapped to the electric chair. Yeah, you know, and I just remember being always going over there. Wasn't allowed to rent it, of course, but just being like, my God, what is this? Right, exactly. You're like, what in the world am I looking at? Yeah. And is this legal for sale? Well, that was it, you know, when you're younger. It's like, oh my goodness. And I think, to sidetrack briefly, I think that kind of plays into the internet thing. Because back then, belief was really suspended a lot easier. Mm. So, 
you could look at a movie and think it was more real than it was. Like, if they had a movie back in the 80s that said this is based on a true story, you believed it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... I guess it's all part of desensitization to a lot of stuff, right? Like, everybody's seen so much now. Right. And nowadays, you know? in all honesty, one of my pretty much instant tells that a movie is going to be crap is if it says, based on a true story, or based on real-life events. That means chances are it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> or the found footage. Okay. Oh, let's, God. We're, that, that's for another show, but. Yeah. As one of my hatreds in the movie industry. Yeah. But when you saw something like that, and let's go back, you know, we'll go back to, let's say, 1968, when you saw Night of the Living Dead, the way it was presented and the way the times were, you you believed it may have actually could happen. Well, that was it. It was just, I don't know, yeah, there was more innocence, uh, just... It feels like some of the violence that was in the most violent movies back then is stuff you practically just see on the mainstream news now. Well, exactly. Black that, exactly. Just like, slap that kind of thing up on, you know, five o'clock. Right. You know, that's the go-to thing. But in the 1980s and 70s and, you know, maybe even up into the early part of the 90s, you didn't see that thing anywhere. You know, you couldn't... There was no live leak or any of these, you know, websites or whatever. No, there wasn't anything like that. So you had to rely on the newspaper, radio and television news, and talking to other people. Mm -hmm. And so I think, honestly, that's really part of what made the whole idea of the, of the VHS box art a cool thing. It definitely did, you know. Yeah, just browsing around and, and finding something cool and looking at just tons of other movies. Maybe even if you, you kind of knew you weren't going to read them anyway. It was just fun to look at the box art. It was. It absolutely was. And the, the cool thing is, you would be, even if you never purchased them or rented them, you would be exposed to other kinds of movies because you would go up and down the aisles and look at them. Yeah. And it may not be something that was in your wheelhouse, but it's something that now is logged in your brain. And if somebody says, you know, mentions it, like, oh, I remember seeing that in the video store. You know, but nowadays it's, if somebody mentions a movie, oh yeah, I saw the trailer, you know, and I read all the, th I read all the information about it. Ah, it didn't look good. Well, you don't know. Exactly. You know, and, and I think this was, uh... In my mind, and I've mentioned this before, not in the show, but to you, the height of what I call the impulse buy era. Yeah. Because in the days when you would go to a store, especially a video store with no plan, mm. you never knew what you were going to find. And that, you know, and then you would see something like, uh, what was the, let's just pick one at random, like the movie Creepazoid. Mm. Which just looked fantastic. Yeah, exactly. It was a movie I've never heard of, but I kind of want to watch it now because we have the book. Yeah. And I could see what it looks like. But you could see something like that and be like, Whoa, alright, I don't know what this is, but it looks pretty damn cool, so I'm going to buy it. But nowadays, you don't have that anymore because nobody browses anymore. You just... You you just go in, you get what you're you, you get what you're looking for, and it's usually a bland 
canvas anyway, and then you're on your way. Well, exactly. That goes back into just sort of purchasing things that you've already seen or know exactly what it is. Right, exactly. And it, and it kind of made things boring. But, as you and I remember, because I don't, I know I didn't, but maybe you did, the, arti- the artistry of the VHS didn't stop at just the cover art. No. You know, when you mentioned it, I was like, oh my god, I do remember the fact that there were VHS tapes that were different colored plastic. Yeah, they call it the shell. And all of a sudden I just remembered, it's like, do you remember that there was orange tapes? Yeah, and as soon as you said that, my mind flashed back to a tape that I saw, but I, I don't think I ever had. It was an it was a release of E.T. on a green VHS tape. Yeah. I don't remember if I ever had it, but I do remember seeing it. And then the floodgates open, and it's, oh my god, yeah, because you had the Nickelodeon orange tapes. Yep. You know, uh, what were the other big ones? You had the, um, I think uh, Barney did a lot of purple ones. Yeah, Barney did purple, uh, some, also some white tapes, uh, Donnie Darko was released on a blue tape. Uh, See, weirdly, I don't remember that. And then when we looked at this list, I was like, I don't remember any of these. Like, I don't remember the red version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show or Silence of the Lambs. It was on, some of those were only certain versions, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show especially and Silence of the Lambs have been re-released on VHS so many times by so many different companies. Right. That, you know, the CBS tape is different than the Fox tape or whatever. Exactly. So depending on who released it, you would get a different thing. And that's really what made it cool. Especially because in the land where 99% of the of the cassette tapes you were going to purchase were black plastic. It had a black shell. Yeah. You know, seeing a blue shell, that's kind of cool. Yes, it's part of the experience and... I sort of talked to you about it, and it reminded me of colored vinyl records. Yes, which really yeah. weren't a thing back in the day, but are a lot more prevalent now. It just It's something cool that adds something to the experience. It really does. You've already got the cool box art, you know, so say it's for, like, some horror movie that looks really cool in the box art, and then you slide the actual tape out, and it's blood red. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah. if you have Silence of the Lambs. And you slide that thing out of the out of the box, and you're looking. You're presented with a bright red tape. You're like, dude, this is cool. It just it it puts you in the right mindset. You know, you just think this has to be good. Right, like this has to be good because it looks so much different than anything else. Whether or Having... not that was the case is up to the viewer, but the yeah. experience was changed. It was all part of that experience. It was kind of neat, you know. Like The Godfather 3. Not a good movie, but it was cool that it came on a gold uh, gold shell. Right, when you showed me that picture, I had actually never seen that one before. I hadn't either, but that was really neat, you know. And I, I looking at the list we put together, and actually you can find it, we found it on Reddit. If you just Google VHS, you know, colored VHS tapes there's a Reddit article that puts together a pretty good, or his best version of it out there, as people know. Yeah. 
And the coolest one I saw was that Regen one. I think it was a Japanese anime. I'm pretty sure it was a Japanese release. Yeah. But it the not only was the the shell blue, but it was transparent. As all things in the 90s, 80s, 90s were that that blue transparent, you know, techno plastic. Right. But I've never seen a VHS tape like that bef- before, during, or since the era. No, I haven't seen VHS tapes that did it. It was more common for actual devices, Walkmans and the like. Oh, yeah, like the see-through phones and yeah, stuff pagers. like that. Yeah, but it was a 90s thing, but I never knew up until basically, what, yesterday as we record this, so a couple days ago as you're listening to this, that a transparent VHS tape ever existed on the planet Earth. Mmm, it's cool. You know, I'm almost 39 years old, and I just learned that, and it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. And one of the other things that we looked at was, going back to the box art, was the coolness of collections, mostly miniseries, TV shows. Yes, and and movie groups. Yes, and I know where you're going, so get right into it and paint the picture. Where... Because the VHS was so chunky, you could actually put designs, create basically a mural out of multiple VHS boxes. Exactly. So So you'd have a season of some TV show, and it would have a cool design if you had all of the tapes, you know, if you bought the collection. Right, and some of the TV shows that as I was going through and looking for, I mean, Xena did it with a lot of their seasons, but they would do, like, big, like, seasons one to three compilation. It would be this gigantic, like, mural on the side, on the spines of the tapes. Yeah. And it just, it's something that looks really cool on the shelf, too. It really does, you know. It's a neat way to do it uh, if you're going to store your movies basically sideways, which most people do, because it takes up less room. Right. You stand them up, and the cool thing is... It kind of forces you to keep them in order, because otherwise the picture's going to look wonky. Yes. So, like, Xena did it, uh, the Star Trek movies did it. Remember that show Oz on H... I think it was on HBO, the prison show? I never watched it, but I remember hearing about it, yeah. Well, that that had uh, a spine art design. Uh, Buffy did, Angel did, the X-Files did. And, it was, like you say, it was mainly for miniseries, television shows, or, you know, movie compilations, because the Star Treks were the movies. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street did that real badass one with Freddy. Yeah. Standing there, and that was the first six or seven movies. I think it was seven. And you can, actually, I between you and I, we found most of these for sale on eBay. Yeah. Some a little highly priced. Others a well, bit more reasonable. I mean, that's the funny part, right? Streaming came in, everybody dumped their DVDs and any VHS tapes that anybody still had at that point, and you couldn't even pay people to to take your VHS tapes. They literally went in the garbage. Right. And now they're collector's items. All of a sudden, people want them back. People are paying $30, $40, even $50 for, you know, mainstream movies on DVD. Or not on VHS. Yeah, oh yeah, and... I mean, I've, I looked at uh, Twin Peaks did a series of that. Some of the sets were running well over $150. Yeah, I mean, I think I've it seen was just, just... For seven VHS tapes, and each one had one episode on it, but it was the fact it was in the box and you had the design on the spines. 
Well, that's it. I mean, I've seen main, you know, sort of the big movies. So, like, if you want Die Hard or Terminator or one of those real big sort of, you know, classic movies on a, a VHS, you're going to have to shell out in a lot of places. Oh, God, yeah. And th- and here's what I was thinking. In 20 years, are there going to be any DVDs or even Blu-rays that are going to command that kind of nostalgia price? I don't think so. No, because especially DVDs and Blu-rays, they're a thin thing. They don't look like anything. But if you could spend a hundred bucks and get, you know, a ten movie set, the like the Alfred Hitchcock one. It wasn't a hundred dollars. It was considerably less than that and into the tempting range. Yeah. But um, you have not just something that you can view, but you have an object that looks cool. Well, I think that's it. And that's an interesting point where uh, DVD slash Blu-ray is really just the most efficient medium of, you know, sharing that information, like a sharing a movie. It, there's nothing sort of interesting or collectible about the format. Right. You know, we've been using CDs long before DVD or Blu-ray came in. They're not sort of worth anything. No, exactly. Like, you can't even, you know, even some thrift shops don't like to take used, like, old DVDs and uh, cassettes and CDs. No, whereas, you know, a VHS tape, it sort of was a much more of a physical object in and of itself. Well, and I think that's uh, something that you were thinking about. It's the fact that it was kind of designed for kids. Yeah, well, they certainly were a lot more child-friendly. Yeah, like, you know, you think, well, how is it child-friendly? It's this big, chunky rectangle with sharp corners. The fact of the matter is, let's say a kid drops a VHS tape. Unless they're dropping it off the roof, it's going to be fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, you and I came from the generation where we, you know, often be allowed to wake up early, go into the living room, and quietly, you know, watch movies or whatever on the weekend. Yeah. Before, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, but you were allowed to handle your own tapes, and even, you know, even toddlers can work a VCR and and VHS tape, but... You wouldn't give toddlers Blu-rays. Well, and that's and that's another thing, because let's say a kid has just finished eating something. It's His hands are all sticky, his or her hands are all sticky, and they're manhandling the VHS. Yeah. Guess what? It's still going to play. Yeah, because the ribbon is tucked away. Right, the ribbon is tucked away, and most kids don't know about that little tiny button that you, have, that you push to fold back the top if you need to mess with the actual ribbon. Yep. But if you give a toddler with messy hands a DVD or, God forbid, a Blu-ray, you will never play that thing again. Well, that's it. They're just so fragile that they're, yeah, they're basically completely unchild-friendly. They were kind of too expensive to where you would never want to just give them to small children to operate themselves. Right, and think about how much problems even a single fingerprint, especially on a Blu-ray, can cause. Yep. You know, because the laser won't read it. And like, nope, there's... And I've had that tons of times. I would put a disc into uh, my Xbox, and the Blu-ray player would be like, nope, there's no disc in the drive. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, there is. But 
unless the unless you put the tape in backwards, which actually was physically impossible. Yeah. You you were gonna get that thing to play. Said and Disney especially fully embraced that they didn't invent the quote unquote clamshell case, but they basically mainstreamed it and they used it for pretty much all of their kids' movies that they released on VHS tape. Everybody remembers those big puffy white cases. Oh god, that, yeah. Oh god, yeah. Know. And I was just gonna say they they may not have invented it, but they certainly popularized it. They really did, and it, you know, it was just a really, again, sort of child-friendly way to, to share a lot of those movies, because as we both remembered in horror, the squeeze cases... Mm. Whoever invented the squeeze cases should have been drug out into the street and shot. And, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, it was basically a plastic shell that you'd put over the, the paper uh, VHS cover... And you had to really sort of squeeze it and rattle the, you know, the the tape around to get it out. Yeah, and in doing so, oftentimes, you were going to cause damage to the box. Yeah, you pretty much always had to sort of stick your fingers up there and pry it out. It was right. kind of almost sort of child-proof casing for tapes. Right, and in a, in a strange way, but it really became more of a deterrent than anything. I mean, the idea is sound, like a box protector. That's not unusual these days. Oh, it was, you know, most rental stores ended up using it precisely for that reason, to try and protect the paper boxes, but it was just such a pain in the butt. It was a made, It was more of a hassle than it really needed to be. Yeah. But, <laughs> like I say, man, and the fact that you brought it up, Kids could make it work because yeah. they knew, and a lot of VCRs, at least in my recollection, even if the power was turned off, if you put a tape in, it woke up. Yeah. And then a lot of times it would start playing automatically so the kid didn't even have to push a button. Oh, you walk up and, and, you know, gently put it in until the machine accepts it. Right. And then it takes it from you and you know, all right, I'm seconds away from being able to watch something. You know, and it was enough time for you to, you know, once it took it from you, it gave you enough time to, you know, go back, find a space on the couch, and grab a snack before it started playing. It was actually perfect. Yeah. And then, uh, but then the DVDs came around, and it's like, okay, well, I've got to push this, and then there's the menu. Like, the, it wouldn't just start playing. You put it in, you had to navigate through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, it's really not that bad. It's like, I am kind of making a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, but if it's sort of for small kids, it's right, just... small kids are people that don't really understand technology. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of difficult. And, you know, like I say, I'm not crapping on DVDs because it was, you know, an innovation. It was a giant shift. But mm -hmm. the fact is that as technology took a step forward, in some ways it also took a step backward. It definitely feels like that, or at least something was lost, you know, in, in in sort of swapping a creative endeavor that VHS tapes, you know, were, where all the artwork was hand-drawn and people had to write up the, you know, the summary of the movie in creative and funny ways. Like, there was a lot of creativity that went into these boxes, and all of that went out the window for just the thinnest, lightest, cheapest, most efficient way to shove a a CD at you. Right, exactly. And, you know, and that's why a lot of them would be just so bare bones because, like, hey, if we can save, you know, 
50 cents a unit on printing, you know, kicking out all these units, we're going to save a buttload of money and they're still going to buy it. Well, that's it. There's just, you know, there just doesn't seem to be nearly so much creativity. Yeah. Involved in it. Yeah, but if you if you cheaped out on a VHS box, you knew that you might not get any sales. Oh yeah, like it's really evident when the VHS box is just, you know, like a black square with text on it or something because it's some movie studio that couldn't even afford to make a real box. Right, exactly. It's like the generic slipcover with, you know, X Studio presents this movie. It's like, all right, well... That's not exciting. It's like, well, I don't want to watch that movie. I want to watch this one because it's colorful and draws my attention in. Exactly. So, yeah, just something, something, you know, went missing. That's what it is. It was really part of the whole experience. Now almost, and I I think um, to kind of jump up a little bit to tie it to, you know, what we're talking about. There is something lost in the fact that you can get anything you want to watch at the touch of a button. Yeah. I mean, is it convenient? Absolutely. When we were kids, would we have loved to have had that? Oh my god, yeah. But the fact remains is that it kind of takes the fun out of it. Like, when we were growing up, let's say you wanted to watch something Christmas-related. You weren't going to find it on TV, for sure. You didn't have anywhere that you could stream it. So, you you basically had to wait until Christmas, or if you really were hard up, you went to the video store. Yeah, exactly. And even sometimes they wouldn't put out Christmas stuff until about November. Yeah. Because that's taking up valuable shelf for other things. So, it does kind of spoil us in a way. It definitely does, and you and I are going to talk more about this in other podcasts, but the sort of the effects of streaming, of the internet, and all of that. Yeah, and I, and that's what I mean. I, you know, we are, we do have something planned for a little further down the road with that, but in this one, it does make sense because it kind of changed the whole dynamic of viewing a movie in your home. And let's, actually, here, here's one. Let's paint a picture. You would have sometimes go over to a friend's house or have friends over and you wanted to watch a movie, right? Yeah. Wasn't part of the fun you and your friends going over to the to the tape shelf and looking through and be like, oh man, could we, should we watch this? Should we watch this? Should we watch this? Should we watch this? And it was a tangible thing that you could look, you know, pick up and look at and see, hey, maybe we could watch this. That's it. I mean, if you sort of look at the, the whole efficiency thing... It's just gotten even worse. I mean, with streaming, if you thought DVD boxes were, you know, boring or not creative, my God, you know. Well, now it's literally just one thumbnail. Right. It's one thumbnail, and then depending on the service you use, it'll just start playing a scene of the movie. Oh. And or it, the trailer or something. And it's right. like. And like, I know Amazon has that with a lot of their movies. They give you an option to look at the trailer first. You know, which is, like, I'm not saying that's bad, but I mean, again, it just feels like the most robotic, efficient way to, you know, to shove this at you with zero real creativity. But in a weird way, I don't think it is efficient for you, the viewer, because when you had a shelf full of tapes, let's say you had 50 tapes on a shelf, 
that means you could choose from one of 50 movies to watch. Yeah. That's it. That's all you got. But if you have people over and you're going to, you know, hey, let's watch a movie. Okay, well, we'll go to Netflix. Well, what do we want to watch? You know, it takes 10 minutes to figure out what genre you want to watch. And then, you know, depending on, you know, what you want to do in there and if they have it, it's like, you don't know if they even have something until you're looking for it. That's it, you know. And uh, obviously, if you're walking down a shelf of uh, boxes, it's also easy to see, like, who's in the movie, you know, if they have a big star. You know, like Arnold, he's going to be front and center on that cover. Exactly. But now, you know, even the thumbnail won't oftentimes doesn't have a picture of the star. It just has the title. It's like, okay. Yeah, some of them are just really generic. Like, it just seems almost like a very random grab at a random point in the video. Right. And it's never, it's, and it's usually one of the better parts as well. So it kind of ruins the surprise. It definitely can, and I know I've seen Netflix shuffle their thumbnails quite a bit, and oh man, often not for the better. You know, it's it's already kind of mad that it gets even more generic and weird. Right, but uh, you know, at the same time, it is cool. You know, but it's just like there's just so little information. Right, or... and so that's what I mean about the efficiency. So. Despite the fact that you're watching it on a device that's connected to the internet and you have the internet at your fingertips, you know less about a movie in 2020 than we as kids did in 1989. Because we actually had the box and could read about it. And they don't hype anything. Like, if you read the the write-ups for movies on, on Netflix or probably other streaming sites, it's the most just sort of factual yeah it's basically a two-sentence summary this here's the plot these are the people will they end up happy together it's just like i want stuff like you know when a giant radioactive cabbage comes to downtown chicago what will happen we don't know until the vegetators come exactly like the write-ups on the old vhs tapes were all almost all done in as if it was real, right? Yeah. And that and I think that's another part of it because whoever wrote the 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 uh the summary for the box mm. they would have something to do with the film. Like be they working for the studio, the production company, whatever. Yeah. So they had a vested interest in how this came out. Yeah. But nowadays it almost seems like um the big streaming services are relying more on sites like IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes to do the summaries for them rather than their own. And these these are people that are completely, well, I shouldn't say completely neutral because they're not, but have no vested interest in most movies that they review. Let's put it that way. No, they're just interested in passing on a couple of lines of really factual information. There's sort of, there's no storytelling in it. It's just... It doesn't draw you in because there's no emotion. No, it is. It's just like, here is the plot, and that's it. And not in a creative way. Just, person goes to house, scary things happen, this actor is in it. Do you want to watch it or not? Exactly, but back then, they they were invested in it, so they were going to build it like you were watching a news report. 
Yeah, and it was just, it was more fun, you know? It was, and again, it was one of those things that added to the experience. Yep. And, <laughs> like you said, there really has been a lot lost when it comes to that. Yeah, and I think that's why there's this resurgence in VHS tape collecting and everybody, you know, wanting these back now. Right, and, and actually that's something we kind of glossed over, but when we were talking about the back of the VHS tape, let's look at the back of a DVD mm. or a Blu-ray. You know, because they're so small, especially Blu-ray cases, they're a lot smaller, they don't have as much room to put as much information on there. No, it's basically, you you know, and all the information they put on there now is, is mostly technical stuff. You know, you want the ratio, you want right, you want the many... ratio, you want the region, oh, it's full screen, wide screen, oh, you know, here's the special features. And it would take half of this already limited space and list just the special features. You know, yeah, and I mean, that's fine, although I don't know too many people personally that are that sort of invested in the technical specs. I think you kind of have to be a bit of a video head to be that, you know. Right. I need it to be this exact ratio, and I want this many, you know, Ks. It has to be 4K. Right, and... 4K, it ain't going on this TV, sister. Exactly. So, you know, it feels like it's a bit of information overload for the average casual viewer. I think so. You know, like, if you're buying a movie for, you know, your 70-year-old mother, she probably doesn't care about the ratio or that sort of thing. Right, it's like, ooh, this also comes with a download code so you could get the UV download. What is that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I'm in the midst of the tech generation and I don't really care. Exactly. So, yeah, a lot of space is kind of given up for stuff that I don't think even really applies to most people. No, and and then, like I say, if they just list the things like, ooh, blooper reel, behind the scenes, I don't care. Well, why would I want to watch the behind the scenes thing if I don't know if I want to watch the movie? That's true, and I like the ones where they list the uh, interactive menu as a special feature. Right, like interactive menu. Oh, so the, the, the cursor will actually move. Okay, cool, that's a great feature to have. You know, and I think kind that's one of, the... of a standard aspect of DVD. Yeah, and I think that's one of the glory things about the VHS tape is they, unless they released it on a separate tape that came with it, you weren't going to see any special features. No. And another thing, you know, because we all know at the beginning of the DVD or the Blu-ray, you put it in there and you pop up with all the coming soon stuff and all you have to do is push a button and go right through it. Yeah. Whereas the VHS tape, if you didn't want to get back up and push the fast-forward button, you kind of were forced to watch the trailers. Yeah. And it was like a movie, but it was cool because it's like, hey, there's a, this This looks cool. And that again, was it. I mean, Pre-internet, that was your, you know, one of your main exposures to stuff that was up and coming. Right. And and that was, a, that was the thing. Like, if you saw a thing, like, coming next summer this and you're like oh my god i cannot wait until next summer to see that yeah you know i mean you couldn't just sort of go on the internet and watch trailers or or yeah. look at you know upcoming movies coming out in the next year or two i mean that was your sometimes your only source of information on yeah. you know what was being made unless you know unless you like 
were taught you made friends with somebody at a movie theater and they would be able to tell you what's coming out but mm-hmm. you know for your average joe the only exposure you're getting to future movies is random commercials and previews that you see on a vhs taper at the movie theater yep whereas now just completely different and again that's part of it that kind of takes the fun out of it for me but on the fun note Mm. And this is something that you sh- you sent me a picture of. I'm like, oh my god, I do remember that. The tapes used for purposes other than watching a movie. Yes. And I know you were a big fan. I think you were you you were a big fan of the game, the board games that had the VHS tapes. Yeah, I mean, there was a few of them. I feel like uh, one called Nightmare, or in some regions, it was also known as Atmosphere. Yes, I remember, I, I this was, one, again, one of those things. I never had any of them. I don't believe I knew anybody that had them, but I was aware they existed. Um, well, my friend at the time had Nightmare, and, and we used to put it on. Not always play the game, sometimes just put on the tape because it was weird. Was that the one uh, with Christopher Walken? Mm, don't think so, no. Well, I know there was something with Christopher Walken in it. Yeah, no, this one was different, but... Yeah, it was sort of interesting that all of a sudden they had either specific board games that had a a tape component or re-releases of sort of more classic board games like Snakes and Ladders or Candyland, where they kind of incorporated a tape to give it a little new flash and flair. See, I did not know that they did that with Candyland and stuff like that. You know, it, it's... It probably seems silly to a lot of people. It's very gimmicky, but I mean, at the time, some of these games were pretty stale. Well, right, and it's how many times can you climb a ladder or slide down a chute? It it offered something new, and you know, and also in the case of some games, it offered a finite timeline. Yeah, so you to playing the game, the ninety-eight hour Monopoly game. Well, that was it, right? Like the game uh, Nightmare could only last sixty minutes. That's it. Then the game is done, whether you're sort of ready for it or not. Right, because the tape's over. Guess what? Game over. You know, so that was kind of nice. Like you could, it just board games have a way of getting away from you. Yeah, and how many? And we've I've heard read stories. I think the longest Monopoly game ever recorded took something like seventy days. I mean, with Monopoly, even it's common to just kind of leave it out and come back to it, you know. Yeah, hours later. I would be willing to wager, and listeners, you can please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think a game of Monopoly has ever been completed. Probably not. I think people have given up or quit. I don't think it's ever been played out to the end. (laughs) Prove me wrong, because I'd like to know. Uh, but there were a few others. Uh, Star Wars had an, an interactive board game. Star Trek did. Uh, Dragon Strike, released in 93, had one. Yeah, see, I don't... You know. And the thing is, you can probably find these out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's still quite a lot out there. But they were just sort of... It was interesting, you know? It was sort of a different way of doing these games and things. And another thing is, if you do... Are a VC, you know, VHS collector. Let you got to show your dedication because got to have a VCR. Yeah. And not only that, you pretty much have to have an old TV because I don't know if you can finagle a VCR into an HD TV that only has USB inputs. 
probably could, but for most people who are that interested in having the physical tapes, part of that experience is the old CRT TVs and just the way they looked. Yeah. Tracking! It's, It's silly, but it's just, it's all part of that, right? Like, the whole idea of nostalgia isn't isn't about sort of being rational or anything. It's just, it's about feelings. Right. And there was something, there's something familiar for people of our age about sitting there, putting a tape into a machine, and then having to push a button so the static dropped away. And just, you know, the fact that it wasn't too crisp, you know, most most people today probably wouldn't enjoy looking at an an old TV and just sort of the capabilities it had for showing, you know, colors and, you know, they certainly weren't high definition. Oh, God, no. They weren't high definition. Hell, they weren't even widescreen. I think they were all in the 4-3 ratio. Yeah, you know, but that's... You know, tapes were designed to to be played that way and to look that way, and, and, you know, most people remember uh, watching them that way, so... Even if you could put it up on a new TV, it, it probably just wouldn't look right. Well, and that's the thing. And that, I think, also boosted the movie theater industry because if you wanted to watch something in basically high definition, you went to the movie theater. Yeah. But now, with, like, you know, 1080p and 4K, you can actually get better resolution on a movie at home than at a movie theater. Yeah, you know, and... That's fine, but yeah, if you're that interested that you're going to collect tapes and and get a VCR and all that, most people find an old CRT TV. They're still, you know... Oh, you can find them around, yeah. Yeah. And then the one thing I always remembered, and you remembered because we found that wonderful picture of the one shaped like, what was the Corvette? The tape rewinder. Be kind, rewind. That's right. That was the motto of Best Buy, not Best Buy, Blockbuster, wasn't it? Be kind, rewind. Yep. Everywhere, you know, because there's nothing more annoying than, like, renting a tape and and having to rewind it yourself because it did take, you know, three, two or three minutes. It's not a huge thing, but it's annoying. It's not a huge thing, but it could be. You know, you sit down (sighs) already to, to watch the movie, you hit play, and then realize that it's at the credits. Right. You know, because you can't tell, you know, really just by looking at it. Um, For some tapes, others there were, like if all, what was it, if all the tape was on the right side, you needed to rewind it? Yeah. But if you weren't paying attention to that, you wouldn't think to look. No, most people didn't, or didn't even know that. You know, it was just sort of, well, you stick the tape in and you hit play and... Right. And the tape takes a good amount of time to rewind in a VCR because... The VCRs weren't designed to rewind quickly. They were designed to play forward. Yeah, you know, it was very quick, very slowly spooling the tape back. Right. So that's why the idea of the VHS rewinder, the separate machine, was actually kind of genius. The fact that it was a a, a machine that was designed for one specific purpose. It did it well, it did it quickly. Mm -hmm. You put the tape in, you close it down, and it rewinds it. Yep. And they were shaped like all sorts of things. Oh, yeah, you could get, you know, very official, sort of efficient black, you know, ones or whatever. But there was cool ones that were shaped like cars and, Oh, you yeah, know, like Lord. we had just like the standard generic one that they would have at most video stores. You know, it was just like a mm-hmm. black and silver box. Yeah. But it worked. 
Well, exactly. And so that's one thing that people of the younger generation don't really understand is the fact that even though it was easier, sometimes it still wasn't immediate. Yeah. And you couldn't just push a button and go and go back, you know, to another scene 30 minutes before. Oh, or back to a menu. There was no menu. Yeah, there was no menu. You couldn't pick a chapter. Nope. Like, if you wanted to see a specific scene, you had to either watch the whole movie up to there or see if you could guess where it was. Fast-forwarding. Right, fast-forwarding. And the other one, I don't know if you ever had one, I remember vividly having one, was the VHS head cleaner. Because eventually, obviously, the VCR, the more tapes you run through it, it's going to gunk up and it's going to look kind of weird. But did you ever see that one? Oh, we had them where you'd put the couple drops in, yep. in a tape and then run the tape and it would basically clean all the heads. Right, exactly. You know, you would put a couple drops of this little cleaning solution and it had a little port right at the top and it was a cleaning tape that you would have to replace eventually. Yeah. And then you just put it in there, you ran it through and your VCR was better. If it was still gunky, put a couple more drops, run it through again. I don't think I ever had to run one through more than twice. No. But They were was- really good. It was part of the thing. It was cool. You know, because... It really was. Because in some cases, to watch a movie, you really had to do a little maintenance. Oh, yeah, and when you're a little kid, you know, I remember ruining several of those uh, cleaning sets because it was like, I'm a mad scientist doing ultra chemistry. Right, you know, you put half the bottle in there and it would just, like, just destroy the, the cleaning tape. <laughs> well, exactly. Never got anywhere near the VCR, it was just fun to, to mess with these, you know, interesting looking, you know, little vials and tapes and things. Exactly. It's like, ooh, I'm or like, you know, you're pretending it's something, you're fueling it up. It's like, no, it takes more than two drops. Oh, yeah. But uh, it was just part of the whole experience. And then one last thing I always remember about the VHS tape was how easy you could tape over something either accidentally or vindictively. <laughs> vindictively because of that little tab yeah. in the front left and when you would buy a movie that tab was removed mm. until somebody somewhere discovered all you needed to do was put a piece of scotch tape over it yep and you could record like it was a brand new tape Oh, my goodness. How many, you know, families have those where, you know, someone's graduation or, yeah, you know. Yeah, then it the cuts to the middle of, like, you know, a football game. Yeah, you know, pick, you know, movies of the new baby or whatever, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, cut. she's about to say her first word. And it's third down for the Broncos with Elway under center. It's like, Dad, what the hell? It's like, what? You need to record the game. Well, that's it, you know, tapes were were very sort of expensive back then, so, you know, you used what you had laying around, and you didn't always check what was on at first, because that took a while. Well, right, and you remember the other one is when you would get the blank, the pack of blank tapes, it came with the labels you had to apply? Yeah. And then it would give you a couple of lines, and you could write what was on the tape? Mm-hmm. And then there was the three speeds, so if you wanted to record a couple of movies, you could put it on EP, or no, wait, it was EP was extended play, that was the four-hour setting. Yeah. SP was short play, that was two hours, but it was the best quality you were going to get. And then you had the, what, SLP or ELP, depending, it was either super or extra long play, and that was yep. six hours of recording. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, I remember, you know, tapes would come with whole sort of little sticker packages, you know, oh, yeah. for you to... And the glory of, if you w- didn't want to record the commercials as they came up, you had to get somebody over by the VCR yep. to push pause so it would stop recording but not turn off, and then when it came back, you pushed it again and turned the recording back on. Yep. Man, uh, we were ingenious, weren't we? Yeah, damn right. I mean, so, let's kind of put a bow on this one and ring in the new year as we see fit, but I mean, things aren't terrible now, it's just they're different. It's just, you know, nostalgia is always going to be around, and and it seems like for a growing amount of people of our generation, there is this nostalgia for you know, rental stores and that magical experience of, of the box tape. Yeah, the box tape, and I'm going to throw one out there for you, and I'm, I'm only going to leave it at my statement. People of our generation will understand if you're young and don't ask your parents. The video store that had the section behind the beaded curtain. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that, but... Yep. You know, so, like I say, is it cool that we have the access to all of these movies at the touch of a button? Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Is it as good... I don't know. Yeah, I st- it feels like the jury's still cut out on that one. Right, because I was I was speaking with somebody about it recently, and I said, basically, it's almost sensory overload. There's so much that you look at it and go, there's nothing to watch. Yep. Because in, in an era when you have, let's say, Netflix with access to, let's say, just a ballpark number, I don't know how many they actually have, 500,000 movies. Yeah. How the hell do you go through 500,000 movies? Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you have a VHS shelf with 30 tapes, it really limits your choices, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. But it, it's to me it's cool. It's something that we grew up with that despite everything with technological advancements is still around. Yeah. We don't know how, we don't know why, but it is. And here's one more thing. Uh, last year, so or last year or the year before, my dad found a bunch of old home movies of you know me when I was a kid, my sister when I was a kid, that were on VHS tapes, so he had them converted to DVD. Mm. Because back then, tapes weren't designed to last more than, what, 10 years? Yeah. But shockingly, they did. They definitely did. Like... There's VHS tapes, uh, and he showed... I looked at the footage, I have the DVDs, of when I was a baby. So my first Christmas, so this would have been December of 1982. So you're looking 38 years ago now. Yep. It was still watchable. The only thing was it had a little bit of a red hue because the tape had begun to dis- had begun to de- you know disintegrate. Oh, yeah. I mean, we dug this huge box out of our garage, and it had a bunch of tapes, mostly of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, back from when it was airing, you know, new episodes on TV. Right. And And they were That's still 20-plus years after the fact. They're still watchable. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were fine. It really was kind of scary. Yeah, this wasn't a technology that was designed to last forever. This was designed... I think they maybe thought, eh, if we get ten years out of it, it'll be fine. Yeah. But through some incredible means, the VHS tape would still play almost 40 years after the fact. It makes no sense. 
And it remembers exactly where the last person who watched it left off. Exactly. It's not going to change. But, you know, sometimes even a five-year-old DVD is starting to run into issues because you get those little minute scratches. Yep. You know, if there was dust on it and you rubbed a, a cloth over it or rubbed it or set it down face down on something. Yep. But, you know, that's mind-boggling to me. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it shouldn't be, but it kind of is. It is, but, you know, it's it's the fun of it, you know? It was so much fun to, to go through the box and see what's on these old tapes. Right, because a lot of them either had the labels put on with nothing written on it, or they didn't have labels on it at all. Or you just don't know. I mean, just because it says something doesn't mean that that's what's exactly, on it. Exactly, because somebody may have gotten a piece of scotch tape. Yep. <laughs> so, who the hell knows? Um, closing thoughts, what do you got? preserve your VHS tapes. Even if it's something that you're not interested, donate them to a charity or somewhere, you know, pass them on. Don't just throw them out. No, don't throw them out because... People want them again. Like I say, weirdly, I mean, VHS tapes came around in, what, the mid to late 70s mm. in Japan. I don't think it made it over to America until a couple years later. Yeah. But the fact was... It was something we'd never seen before. Yeah. The fact that we had the ability to watch a movie in our own home. Exactly. And it was it was kind of it was you know like uh, it was like what we talked about with Nintendo. Mm. You know how it revolutionized the gaming industry. Well, exactly. You, you really so. have to say the VCR really revolutionized the entertainment industry. I mean, yeah, there was the battle between VHS and Betamax. And there are a lot of people that say the Betamax was the superior machine. Yeah. I don't know. I never actually used a Betamax or knew anybody that had one. No. But the fact of the matter remains is that almost 50 years later, 40 plus years later, going on 50 years later, people still know what VHS is. Well, exactly. And you so, can still yeah. Find them. And they still work, is the craziest thing. Yep. So, you know, hold on to them if you like them or donate them if you don't. <laughs> yeah. Donate them if you don't, because somebody else might get some enjoyment out of them. Oh, they definitely will. Then if you find a box of them in your garage, go through them, because who the hell knows what's going to be on there. Yeah. It could be something really entertaining. It could be something insanely humiliating and embarrassing. <laughs> you won't know until you find out. So have a viewing party. That's my recommendation to all you people out there. Have a viewing party with all your friends with that box of VHS tapes you found in the garage. Exactly. So Merry New Year on that. Ring in the New Year with a VHS tape of your Uncle Steve, you know, falling down the stairs because he was trying to put his <laughs> shoes on. <laughs> you know, that was a shout out to the old America's Funniest Home Videos. Exactly. Which has now moved from being on TV w once a week to the internet. But on that one, just don't forget the stuff that we had in the past because it's what shaped us. I guess Ex is my point. Yep. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, for the carnival, I'm Zach. I'm Rye. Keep on watching them VHS tapes and uh, let us know. And another thing, if anybody out there is listening and knows of a colored VHS tape that is really cool that we didn't mention, shoot us an, shoot us an email because I want to know about it. Yeah. So, with that, goodbye, everybody. Bye.